recording in progress. You're the second person to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite thing. <laughs> it makes me so happy. <laughs> okay, serious, serious head on now. Hello, everyone listening to this podcast or watching on YouTube. My name is Becca. I work for Blue Balloon Theatre and I am bringing you all the goodness that is Be Inspired. It was a podcast set up by Blue Balloon Theatre to do exactly what it says on the tin to inspire you. Hopefully it will help you through a difficult day or it might even help you achieve one of your greatest dreams. Who knows? Um, but today we have a wonderful, wonderful guest on. I am... So, so happy that you could join me today, Sophie. But I'm joined by Sophie Coward. <laughs> Fanfare, claps, applause. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> Thanks very much. Hi. Hello. How are you doing, my love? I am doing good. It's quite rainy. I'm based in South Manchester. It feels like the summer has gone for good. Yes. The weather forecast says otherwise, but you know, we're, we're back to normal, back to normal. <laughs> oh, I, oh I, that's what we get for living in Manchester, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, hey, but I wouldn't live anywhere else, rain exactly. or shine. <laughs> well, let's, let's delve into who Sophie Coward is as a creative, as a person, because there might be people watching this or listening going, this girl has some beautiful long hair and a very nice little jacket on today. Who is she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is my uh, GCSE art teacher jacket. I'm just living my best vibes. Um, Love it. Oh, what a question. Also, just to anyone out there, I, uh, I'm on Zoom right now. I don't have my self-view. So if I dive off camera and all that kind of jazz, I do apologise. I have no idea what I look like. Um, <laughs> I am... My spiel, my bio is like, Sophie Coward is an actor musician and I am very much an actor musician. I am more actor than musician, but I play flute, bass, guitar, saxophone, collection of recorders, a little bit of ukulele, working towards uh, some clarinet would be really good. I've got one I need to fix. Um, I sing, I love harmonies, but I've also branched away from just being the performer into being also a bit more of an actual like creator. Um, and I got awarded uh, Developing Your Creative Practice Grant from the Arts Council of England, which basically means what it says on the tin, here's some money to develop your creative practice. And my creative practice is increasingly multi-sensory theatre, which is theatre which doesn't just use words and language or dance movement lighting all that kind of jazz it delves really into what something is as a sensory experience real creatives you arty folks might know it's like art theater of the absurd like he uses a lot of that like smells and stuff but from my perspective i use it to help communicate with audience members who don't use um traditional verbal language but instead communicate in a sensory way so like if you were having a hot cup of tea and that was important to like calming someone down you would pass uh, a mug around that might be slightly warmed and it might not have liquid in it but I've done a show with the wonderful frozen light who had a mug which lit up and it was like a soft warm glow of frosted glass and to hold that was like experiencing the warmth of a mug of tea so yeah that that's not sense with it and that's my jam so I guess that's who I am as a creative as I'm an art musician and developing multi-sensory theatre artist that is cool. That is like <laughs> the coolest bio we've had on this podcast. 
far. Like I was listening to you then, and I was like, yes, I want to hold this mug. <laughs> I literally think so. I've done um, part of the wonder of creating theatre for audiences who communicate in a sensory way mm-hmm. is that you also get to communicate and perform for their support networks, be that staff at the residential home, uh, amazing school supporters, or their families. But the people I've seen get the most into it are actors. Like actors love it. Give them something sensory and they'll sit there for a week. Yeah. Just like fiddling with a pen and being like, wow, it does feel cool. Um, <laughs> it's so it. true. <laughs> there it is. It is. It really is. But yeah, that's Sophie in a nutshell, I guess. Amazing. <laughs> well, I already have questions, um, but that has given me even more inspiration for what I would like to ask you in this podcast. Where to begin? Let's journey back in time, Miss Coward. And (laughs) now, obviously, everyone has a story or a point where they decided, you know what, this acting malarkey, this actor muso malarkey, I'm going to give it a go. When was that point for you? Because obviously, I met you at Lippo. Yeah. Um, you, you were actually one of the first third year students I met. So, I mean. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. You were just so welcoming. And that was exactly what little fresher me needed. <laughs> I, I remember that. I remember how scared it was going into drama school. Yeah. The origin story of Sophie as an actor. Um, I reckon if you ask me mum, it will probably be when I was quite young, as most creative actors, performing people do, making up stories, that kind of stuff. I never did the performing plays in the house. That was never my jam. No, no, no. Uh, I used to make my mum, when I was about three years old, just before my brother was born, I used to ask if she would lie down on the floor and not move. And then I would make up a whole tragedy about a girl losing their mum. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I believe it was actually based on The Land Before Time, which is an OG 90s reference for anyone. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was all the dinosaurs in one. Oh, wow. Um, so that's where my acting career started. Uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I more like, I love dancing. I was quite an active child. I was yeah. quite a daydreamer. And when I was in a dance class, um, a lady came in and we were just in a village hall. I'd like to point out, like, I was not like at what's a posh dance school, the name of it. Yeah, I was in a village hall with tap shoes and a little blue leotard. Um, <laughs> and the lady came in and she was putting on a play, just a, an amateur play, but it was a new musical someone had written and they wanted a dancer in it for a really beautiful piece about someone watching their child grow and wondering what happened to their little girl. And I was cast as that little girl and I got to be in a real show and so late and see actors doing acting things. And I loved it. And I realised that dance and acting had a real crossover and that developed. And I was very lucky to go to a primary school, which was all kind of full of old school teachers that were like when the sun shone, they booted you outside and you like did fun stuff rather than sit in a classroom. And it was massively dramery based. And we did lots of fun stuff. I was also grew up Catholic. Um, so storytelling, nativities, always part of my life. But yeah, I'd say it was when 
a theatre company came into our primary school and they did some Shakespeare and they also were like, um, and we run summer workshops. I'm like, come along, do a week of Shakespeare and at the end you put on a, an abridged version of the play. And that was probably my first play. Didn't want to be an actor. I just loved it. I loved Shakespeare. Uh, fast forward to when I was about 14 years old and uh, I'm walking through my school. So if Cal's going to be an art teacher, <laughs> uh, still is my dream. Um, I just, I want that floaty lifestyle. But I walked into the like drama corridor and there was a sign saying that they were looking for extras for Waterloo Road. And that it was 50 quid a pot. You got to miss a day of school and you got lunch on site. And it was like old school, school lunches, like spaghetti and chocolate fudge cake, you know, oh, like. What's not to like about that deal? <laughs> so I, I like looked at him and was like, yeah, all I have to do is write to this agency. I'm down. Um, little did I know it would make getting up at like 4am to go up to Rochdale for the old school Waterloo Road. But that was when, that's when the acting started. I looked at that and I was like, I act-ish. I didn't do drama or anything. I wasn't um, like a drama kid at school. But I did a few like school plays and enjoyed being involved. I was just hyper. And then, um, yeah, the Waterloo Road really liked it a lot. Saw my face on telly. That's fun. Uh, so I went into an agency and actually came up by doing auditions and doing TV jobs and earning money. So for me, acting was always a job. It was never like a... I'm the star of this school show. Uh, I'm going to be uh, a Broadway star. I was like, I'm going to earn money. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well done, Sophie. Uh, <laughs> I, I would go back and tell like that young 14-year-old being, and then they go, do ICT. It's a much better job. Um, <laughs> don't, don't actually do that. Any young people out there listening, do what you want to do. Um, so yeah, I did that and... I started getting some bit parts and then I landed uh, an amazing drama about like adult illiteracy and uh, Tony Morsley was my dad and I got to go film in Liverpool and take loads of time out of school. And then my agent at the time, who was a wonderful old school agent, uh, was like, you should go to drama school. It's a good step for you. And I was like, yes. And all the way through this, I'd like to shout out Mama Coward, Jennifer Coward, amazing one, um, for supporting me. Uh, and she was like, let's try it. So we had a look at some university courses and we had a look at some drama schools. And I researched, like, I'm a research girl. And I found out the difference between the courses and drama school. And I was like, I already act. This will be a piece of cake. They're going to be like, this girl's got a CV. She'll be fine. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> In fact, I had a big falling out at, I shall not name them, a drama school where I was recalled and actually got pretty far on with. And the head of the course was all like, you're not ready to act. And I was like, I'm already earning money from it. So I must be. And what the, do you know? I didn't, I didn't get off at the place. Um, yeah. By that point, I think I'd already decided acting was a fun thing to try. It was never like I sat down and went, acting is my dream. I just kind of did it. Yeah. I find I actually struggle with this a lot. I sit down, <laughs> like, like people, those, those times when you can't sleep. I have a lot of times where I can't sleep. Um, I'm not the world's best sleeper. And I lie there going, when did I decide to do this? And why do I do it? 
Mm. It's not easy. Like any job, it's not easy. Um, so why do I put myself through it? And honestly, I think it was just that I never questioned if I should. I just did. And it's only after I started doing it that I began to question the ifs and the whys and the whens. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting. Because like if, you, if you think about when you're 14, I was very lucky to... I was quite insecure. You know, I was, a, I was a small kid. I've always been quite small, petite, and I was a late bloomer, let's say. Um, but I just never questioned if that was the right thing for me. I just knew I could do it, so I did it. And I think I've always kind of had the kind of, I'll just do it. And if I'm not meant to do it, it won't happen. Mm. Which is a decent attitude. <laughs> it's a little yeah. foolhardy. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So that was me, 14-year-old, Waterloo Road. Check yeah. it out. The Lucy and Laviscon series, and also I think George Sampson, if you remember him. Oh, so was, George that... Sampson? Yeah. Um, had a major crush on George Sampson. <laughs> Did some scenes when he brought a big dog into the school. I thought I was the coolest thing since sliced bread. Uh, yeah, it was great. Really loved it. That's Fully brilliant. recommend. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, what a story. I didn't know a lot of that. I think I knew yeah. bits of it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I probably don't talk about that much. I didn't talk about it a lot in drama school after the audition mm-hmm. process and discovering that people didn't actually value TV work quite highly. Mm. I just kind of shut my mouth about it. And also I also needed to, and this will get back to Lippa, but it, um, I worked through Lippa and I auditioned through Lippa. I just had a lot of orthodontal appointments for my braces. So yeah, yeah, it was very fun. Do you've it, guys. Do, yeah, you've got to do what you've got to do. Do you know what I mean? And I think because of the fact you were already working, you had to take into like consideration the money side of things. Because going to drama school is not like buying a bag of chips from the chip shop. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's hella expensive. Yeah. Like I remember saying to my mum, like I'm not going to be able to go if it isn't connected to to a university because you have to basically find the money from thin air i had this conversation with with another drama school won't name anyone um and in the final interview for their foundation course Mm. they asked me how i would fund it and i was like um i've not really thought that far because I didn't think I'd get this far. It's my first year audition. But I imagine I'd apply for funding and they were just like, that's completely unrealistic expectation. Like, you need savings, you need to be able to pay for it. And I was like, well, thanks very much for that. And I make no bones about it. I've got a northern accent. I'm not working class. I am middle class. Like, I come from a comfortable background with... I'm very lucky to be able to say that. But also, like... (laughs) I do not come from a background where I can just fork out like fourteen thousand pounds. Like, bam! There you <laughs> like, go. <laughs> just uh, slice the cream off the top of my savings. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. It was also keeping your agent happy. So I had an agent going into mm. drama school. I had a different agent when I left it, and I wanted to keep making that agent proud. I've been very lucky to always have a good relationship with my agents, um, and. Because of my own availability at drama school, I was dropped by one and then was very lucky to just be immediately 
applied and was picked up by another. Um, but yeah, it was a real balance. It was a stressful balance. And it was one that I was constantly juggling and trying to do. Um, but I imagine I'll get to talk about that a little bit later because it's so funny. But just if you're at drama school and people are telling you that you cannot act and that you're a rubbish actor, don't believe them. Because that actually happened to me while I was auditioning and landing roles on doctors, which I know is not high art, but does pay more. So like, <laughs> hilarious, hilarious. But yeah, so drama school is not the all and end all, even though I went down that route. It's like Sophie's hot take on drama school. But it is fun because you get to do it lots of fun. cool stuff with amazing teachers. There are some, and there are some who are just like, yes, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, hopefully everyone I do think that everyone should have this experience where there's one particular teacher that literally just takes you under their wing and almost teaches you the life lessons as well as the acting lessons that you really need and you don't know what you need because you're just sort of going along with everything that you're told to do or not yeah. do um but yeah I, I completely agree with that. Drama school was amazing, especially Lipper. Like, I mean, every drama school will have its problems, granted, because everyone's learning. Everyone's mm. trying to make it as good as it can be. But I, I feel like we just touched lucky with, with Lipper. <laughs> uh, it's so funny because I imagine my Lipper is very different to your Lipper. So just for those uh, listeners listening, feels very odd to say that. Hello. <laughs> listeners um, listening. <laughs> How are you, tongue twisters? Um, I left Lipper in 2015 and we're now in 2021. And already when I was at Lipper, it was going through a massive period of change. So the mm -hmm. drama school I talk about does no longer exist um, mm -hmm. while still being obviously a recognised institution. But yeah, I was very surprised at how I took to some styles of teaching and some methods of acting and some ways of approaching performing and how some seemed to repel me like the same side of a magnet. Um, <laughs> man, I flew away from that with some joy. <laughs> it happens so, yeah. though. It does happen. I remember <laughs> first year. Now, obviously, in your first year, your, um, your grades don't count towards your degree. Yep. which was fortunate because I failed all of my written work. And I was like, wait, 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 hang on. What do I do? I was like, one of my tutors called me in for a meeting, said, look, like, it's fine. We've done enough assessments to make up your grade. I was like, yeah, that's great. But how do I improve my written work? Because I don't want to get to third year dissertation time and fail it. Mm -mm. She was like, well, maybe you should get some, like student support you know that might be useful and I'm thinking yeah yeah it would be useful actually and it no was <laughs> to be fair like I think because I hadn't really looked into those resources and then did I was like oh actually yeah this was the right decision um but yeah I, I do I think drama school is a very interesting time you learn a lot about yourself especially once you've left because you suddenly like go oh oh that makes a lot of sense now that's why yeah. I did that yeah 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 I think I learned more in my first three months out mm. like I, as in learning is when it actually settles in your brain there's like two types of learning there's the learning where you sit there and you're trying to learn and then there's the learning that hits you with a ton of bricks and you're like oh wow okay 
Uh, and I did a lot, lot a ton of bricks fell on my head in the first few months. And um, I would love to say for all those out there struggling with Meisner that it was Meisner that hit me like a ton of bricks. Never was. Never was, ladies and gents. Mm. Um, I, I picked up stuff from it, which I can take forward. But yeah, though, I was almost the opposite. I love I mean, I, I wanted to be like a teacher and I, I was really into English literature and I love history. History is like Sophie's geeky subject. Uh, same with like analysing poetry. Basically, I'm a bit of a geek. Um, and it just, so I went into Lipper being like, I can do that stuff. Like, that's what I'm comfortable with. Sit me down and get me to write an essay on it. Especially when I was like, I did a very interesting one about um recently coming out from equity at the time was the unequal rate of pay with like uh, men and women and casting between men and women in um in the industry and i did a really cool dissertation like not dissertation second year essay on that uh so i was like jamming loving my life the written work oddly practical work no 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 i thought pretty hard to get I literally had meetings and um, argued my corner for for passing uh, some of the practical subjects. But that is in the past, and I never have to disclose what my degree actually was uh, or what I got or what I did in modules. And I think at the time it felt like the biggest thing in the world because I because I felt like I was trying the best I could and I wasn't getting any recognition for that mm. and also that I was just a different kind of actor but yeah 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 so I was the opposite funny very interesting that is very interesting yeah, yeah right yeah mm. this is like a journey of learning yeah there you go <laughs> I love podcasts like this um, <laughs> so let's sort of move past drama school that was a time in your life that perhaps it was not what you expected. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, definitely. I think I went into it with uh, real joy and a mm. real expectation of discovery and learning. And I don't know whether or not it was who I was at the time that I needed to do a lot of growing up or whether it was... I found it difficult to find my feet. Mm. I found it difficult to academically find my way. Mm. and there were lots and lots of wonderful moments I met some amazing people there shout out you know who you are uh, but also like did some amazing works really proud of what I achieved but there's lots about it and uh, I won't go too much into it there are lots of things coming out in the industry right now about a lot of job schools and I think that Lippet is not guiltless in that and really mm. needs to reflect on <laughs> um a lot of the way yeah yeah uh I was unlucky in many aspects and incredibly incredibly lucky in so many more to discover amazing voice and movement teachers who continue to turn up in my head in the middle of rehearsals and like remind me of all the little things I definitely still do uh <laughs> like oh, always. I would change it. always always yeah but yeah Moving on from drama school, but yeah, I just wanted to briefly say that if you're not having a good time at drama yeah, school, yeah, yeah. if you do feel like um, it isn't the journey you want, you are not alone and it does not define you as a creative. Yeah. And 
there are real movements happening out there now for you to reclaim your voice force if you don't want to. It is not your responsibility to have to disclose anything or to fight your corner or to make sure it doesn't happen again. That's all on them. That's their responsibility, not yours. Hope that doesn't come back and bite me. But I just it's well worth saying because I yeah. I love that so many people have a wonderful memory of drama school. But I was glad to leave in many ways. And that sounds very dramatic to say, but there was lots of bits and bobs happening which just made me break down in a way that was never built back up yeah and that's not okay <laughs> that's completely valid i mean i was chatting to somebody else earlier in the week in a different episode and uh i've known him for 10 years now very good friend of mine never been to drama school did audition for a few years but decided that it wasn't for him mm. and I can see it in, in the way he is as both a performer, a creative and a person. Drama school at the time wasn't for him. Mm. And I said to him, you know, fair play for being able to recognise that. I think sometimes you go into it as you did, as I did, feeling really optimistic about getting this training, thinking, yes, this is going to really help me solidify what I know and just polish everything so that you're a well-rounded performer in every aspect. And it's not always like that. And so I think the fact that you've been honest about that is, I mean, it, that's that's amazing. And I know you pretty well to know that you would be honest about it anyway. Yeah, and yeah. So, I mean, credit to you really for, for putting it out there. Mm. I digress. Let's move on from drama school. We can uh, leave that one where it was. Um, so sort of post-graduation you said that uh a lot of learnings (laughs) hit you like a ton of bricks and let's let's talk about that and let's talk about your journey sort of post-graduation because you've had a lot of interesting work to say the least every time I see your stuff on Twitter or social media I'm like Sophie Coward what's she doing now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's how I feel um, yeah I think part of graduating drama school was realising that there isn't just work at the national the RSC and some nice regional theatres doing traditional plays <laughs> and like uh, I'm not that kind of actor anyway I kind of get that kind of the, that vibe from my castings as I'm not that kind of actor um, which is neither a good or a bad thing I mean look at me uh, but yeah, so I graduated from drama school in 2015. I immediately went into a short film, so back in the comfy land of film for Sophie. Uh, it was amazing, really, really lovely experience. I got to experiment with lots of techniques I wanted to try and ways of approaching a character. I then got into doing something which a lot of drama schools I feel frown on but it's a really good money earner and you should never say no to if you're into that kind of thing is theatre and education or TIE. So, yes, yes. Uh, So once again, it can get a little bit like, oh my God, you're doing that. And you're like, (laughs) but yeah, I've got got bills to pay. Exactly. Come on. And also kids are great. Tell me about it. Oh my God. Uh, So I got into doing that around primary schools. Um, and it was a tour. I was van driving. I was learning to balance mileage. I was learning to 
budget on her DMs and get to to and from different and difficult locations. Um, Fighting my corner with companies to be put up overnight. You know, just like really learning to negotiate myself as a career actor, not as like an actor that rocks up to rehearsals and is like, I think I let my lines last night. (laughs) Um, And you're like, that's very well and good. And there's lots of skill in that, but there's also skill in owning the fullness of your profession, including all the boring yes. bits, which we're very lucky we're taught at Lipper. I did learn how to do a tax return. Thank you, Honor. You know, you know. Um, ah! But yeah, yeah, learn all the good stuff. And part of that is going on tour. And that was a real cut my teeth thing. And I was so happy to have done that, but I was definitely done with it by the end. It's hard work. And then I moved on into experimenting with fringe stuff because I just graduated. So I was doing a bit like physical theatre work and devising, which I'd, we'd not done much of at Liverpool. We'd done a little bit. So I was delving into arriving to a rehearsal group and like making a show out of an idea, which was amazing. And experimenting with how I can bring my more dancey background into the world of like storytelling and theatre, which mm-hmm. is fab. So I loved doing that, adored it. I got into doing outdoor theatre work with the amazing Feel Good Day Productions. Um, in their first show back at Heaton Park, which was phenomenal. And it was for um, 100 years since the Battle of the Sun. It was two short productions, plays written by local Northern writers and it was just the best thing since sliced bread. It was fully arts council funded as well. So like, obviously I was feeling like I was really moving on up. It was a acting musician show, which was something I was experimenting with, which had not been encouraged at the, for at the time, but might be different now. Uh, so I was playing my flute at the time of those. And like oh, the beautiful heat and ball and like the acoustics of that room with flute. It was, like, it was, it was so good. Um, so already I was doing stuff that I'd never done at like outdoor theatre, um, more site-specific stuff, theatre and education, <laughs> all of this. Uh, and then, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I got into doing just like more outdoorsy bits and ended up um, performing in an immersive trail in Chester Zoo as an actor musician with an amazing events company as an aardvark. Just let that sink in as an aardvark, guys. But let me just say, hearing the wolves howl as the sun sets in October uh, and you're then alone in the zoo because the public have all left and then you get to go for like an hour and just wander around and see all the animals and there's no one else there while you're playing your flute. It's just like, you're just like, wow, it's <laughs> magic. And I was beginning to realise the importance of, the importance of performing and storytelling of fun of basically just being fun um, outside of an often exclusionary theatre setting. Theatres are amazing. They are, in my opinion, vital. But theatre is not just for inside a building and it's not just for a certain type of audience. Often the people who are most responsive to theatre are those people who would otherwise not feel welcome in one. Mm-hmm. And like, Sometimes the only theatre they'll get is an immersive trail in Chester Zoo. Uh, well, you know, I was playing like a Sicilian by Maria, uh, I think it's Von Paradis. Um, you know, like classical music. 
but they're following me as I'm dressed as an aardvark, so it's more accessible and the kids are loving it. And like, I then was incredibly lucky and auditioned for and got a job at Theatre Cluid doing an immersive retelling of the Nutcracker, again devised. Um, and that's when I got into character acting and really exploring like how to be other versions of me in very different ways. So I was like an eight-year-old boy, as you do. Um, <laughs> He didn't speak, as he did. Uh, and that was, if if Paper Finch, uh, Paper Finch is still out there making theatre like Josie X, so work is magic. And it was family theatre, and I loved doing children's theatre, and that started that real path for me in immersive fun stuff. So I guess my main lesson for all of this was, there were so many different types of, performing out there and I was only just scratching the surface and only I'm just scratching the surface and I was looking at it going most of this wasn't covered in my degree and most of it feels like I'm failing is a strong word but there's definitely an attitude toward children's theatre and theatre education and theatre that isn't at the national as like oh her little show her little work and I don't know if that's my insecurities in my head or if that's actually an attitude, but it's something I felt. Yeah. Uh, and you can't argue with feelings, kids. Uh, <laughs> True. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was loving my life. Absolutely buzzing. Uh, I was doing that and then also involved in a physical theatre piece at home, which was like proper theatre. And I also began experimenting with composing with that, kind of moving more into acting musician territory, um, choral singing, basically every single show I did it was somehow like I was managing to go here's an extra skill here's an extra interest here's something else I'm excited about blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. um and shout out to Abby Bradbury and Queen Face Loons as well because they were definitely part of me realizing I didn't need to be a big serious actor in order to act um or do Shakespeare <laughs> and yeah so it just kept happening and happening and I Whistle stop tour through the rest of it. I've done an amazing BSL tour for children uh, where I was an act musician with a mixed hearing a deaf cast and BSL was fully integrated into the show. And that was another real learning moment for me. Um, I most recently, before the pandemic hit, was at Leicester Curve as an actor aerialist in Giraffes Can't Dance oh. as a giraffe that could dance. Spoiler, they can. Um, and like and every time the music got bigger and more complicated and the harmonies kept growing and like what was being asked of me was like gently being layered upon and I was going oh I'm just building this toolbox that I didn't even know could exist like at drama school you're taught that your toolbox is like my ability to release my shoulder tension and to move the emotion into my diaphragm and how I can open up my pelvic floor to release my you know all that kind of jazz <laughs> and actually the more I've worked, the more I was like, actually, my toolbox is my ability to play two recorders through my nose. Oh, it's a skill, ladies and gents. <laughs> or like, Surely to know how painful. to... painful. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, ladies and gents, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I think I only have one recorder in my bag, which makes me really sad, so I can't play it through my nose. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah, like, what else do you do on a podcast but play a recorder through exactly. your nose? Exactly. Welcome nope. to my life. Like, this is my Sopranino recorder. Uh, nope. I found it in a big box full of recorders at a second-hand music shop in Scarborough. Uh, Scarborough. 
Oh, I Scarborough. do like Scarborough. Yeah. Uh, and imagine that with another one through this nose and you've got yourself a recorder solo through your Ladies nose. and gents, we've just had an absolute first. For anyone that's listening and just suddenly heard a recorder, Sophie was in <laughs> fact playing it through her nose. <laughs> uh, so yes, that was a sonata uh, in G uh, with Sophie C on the Sopranino Mollenhauer recorder. Um wow. Which, as I say, was in a box full of recorders. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, big lessons learned. Toolboxes are not just about wanky actor. Oh my lad, say wanky. Wanky actor things. Um, They're also about genuine skills, like Mm. knowing how to drive a van (laughs) and knowing that doing getting to get out is tiring. So for people that might not be aware of what uh, getting and get out is, it's when you put all the set into a space and do the show. And then you get all of the set out of the space. And that can sometimes be as simple as a projector screen, setting up the projector, moving some props into place. Or it can be two tons worth of set, including like LED light boxes, building it with a drill as you get the ramps in place and put a lighthouse in there and fill up a rock pool with water. And, you know, uh, but yeah, yeah. Do you get some get outs? Toolboxes are not just full of silly tools, but actually also useful ones. And theatre is not just what you are taught as theatre. It can span so many different things which make it so much more interesting for people and exciting for, like, kids and adults alike. And also I began to realise the importance of what inclusive actually means. So for listeners who are not listening, I'm white, I'm middle class, I am able-bodied. Like, I'm probably, like traditional theatre's dream audience member um but the more I worked the more I was like oh it's really boring isn't it it's really like mono everything and I began to get excited by including everyone who wanted to go to theatre um so I was very lucky to work with Contact Manchester with an amazing team of people to make a really inclusive fun riotous magical show uh for christmas which was kind of anti-christmas whilst also embracing the fact that christmas isn't always happy for everyone stuff like that already the story's cool then you do like well it had integrated audio description we did like uh, sensory touch tours before the show if you needed it we did like um performances where the audience could roam about if they wanted because like why make everyone sit down on a cushion uh, there was BSL integrated. The cast was reflective of the audience that were coming to see it. Um, it was truly amazing. And a little real fire in my belly to be like, why is, why is it we place such importance on a certain type of theatre? Which then excludes everyone from, like... Uh, the lovely man who sorted out my car insurance the other day, he was like, oh, I've only ever been to one show. So like someone who has different communication and access needs to me. Like there's a broad spectrum of people that feel theatre isn't for them. So yeah, another big thing I learned was that, oh yeah, theatre can be both inclusive and exclusive. And I know which one I prefer and I know which one I like to try work towards. And hence DYCP, multi-sensory, crazy, fun Yeah, stuff. 
I was going to talk about because I mean you've talked so much about it just there is that you want you love in fact theatre that is inclusive to anyone that wants to watch it accessibility is everything uh, and do you think sort of the jobs that you've had things that you've learned the expansion of your toolbox and those questions that have arisen in your mind do you think that has led you to wanting to develop your own creative practice in this sort of multi-sensory magical way <laughs> i like it multi-sensory magic um yes short answer yes uh, so i would never have considered it really unless i hadn't been cast in some amazing shows like i've done uh theater and education tours to young adults at risk of dropping out of mainstream education. And that was a big step for me. Or even just doing a theatre and education tour, which spanned the whole of the North, because I only had one Northern team. Um, and you go to all sorts of demographics and areas and schools, and you just go, wow, these kids, like, love it. I wonder how much they actually get to go to the theatre. And, like, I don't assume, but their joy and their involvement in it, I was like, that's really interesting. I also, when growing up, had a fair bit of exposure to people and was very lucky to count some of them as my friends who are like uh, neurodivergent, communicate in different ways, um, play in different ways, uh, which is really important to acknowledge that people have different joys and needs in play. Um, and so I started to kind of like, drift towards that without it wasn't like I sat down and was like right Sophie's list of needs and wants let's do this let's do this I'm not a big um, affirmation kind of girl uh, just my brain doesn't necessarily work that way it just kind of through hard work and some very wonderful casting opportunities happened and so, like, I did one show which included the integrated BSL, which led me to learning more about BSL and more about the, um, like, fantastic deaf community and vibrant history that we have here uh, in the United Kingdom. Um, and also led me to being incredibly lucky to count those creatives and talented people as acquaintances and work colleagues and friends, which means I had to up my communication game. Uh, so that happened. And then in upping my communication game, got cast in another show, which upped my communication game and my awareness of what inclusivity is, which led me to auditioning and being cast in my first ever multi-sensory show. Because I, by that time, was a, a confident signer, uh, by no means, no means fluent, just could communicate needs and wants and could understand other people's needs and wants. Um, and also had worked with audiences who liked things a very specific way in order for them to feel comfortable. So if they were, were neurodivergent in different ways or had just had different communication needs, um, I'd been very lucky to work with those audiences. And then Frozen Light cast me and we went on six months of tour, touring the entire United Kingdom, literally from John O'Groats to Land's End. Um, performing for audiences that communicated in a sensory way and my brain just exploded because I was like this is so much fun 
and not just for the individuals you're creating it for, but also for individuals who don't usually go to the theatre or think they don't like traditional theatre. Because, you know, you're using music, smells, touch. You're giving people two, three minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes to explore a moment in a play, whether that's like a storm and the storm's a bit like a rave. Uh, what's not to like? <laughs> As I was looking at this, and the more I learned about it, Frozen Light were also so generous in their knowledge and experience of working with that audience mm-hmm. and their marginalization within society. And I looked at it and I was like, but if it's only you and a handful of other companies doing this across the whole of the United Kingdom and Ireland and Europe, then no wonder everyone asks when we're coming back when we've literally just finished doing a show. Um, and so I started hunting out specifically more of those types of castings because I don't really know what. I think I like make, my excuse for being an actor is I like magic. And magic for me is when you're all sharing a story in a moment together and you're not really sure who's leading the storytelling or whose story it is anymore because you're everyone's so involved whether that's in a kids show with the kids literally cheering at you from the audience because you're just a bit sad and they're going no no don't cry it's fine and you're like well this is our story now or whether it's um sharing a sensory moment with an audience member and them saying they don't like that prop and shoving it away. Like, I'm not speaking about Arts Council worthy reactions here. Sometimes the best reactions when someone's definitely like, nah. Because you're like, you are, you have so much agency in this. And that's amazing. Um, yeah. And all those moments were magic. And all those moments were really about a collective and not just about me. Because I think we could go into the politics of it, but I think society is increasingly individualistic if we're not careful. And I think that if you can do a job which allows you to connect with people in a way that you're comfortable, in a way that you find wholesome, it's very addictive. Yeah. And so from a selfish point of view, you kind of keep wanting to connect. You're a bit like a phone that always needs recharging. Um, and every single time I do those, like I'm currently working with an amazing company called DIY, uh, and they're DIY theatre company, and they are a theatre company up in Salford, formed of amazing artists with learning disabilities. Um, and my role as an emerging artist with them is to support and empower and just like be involved. And so I go into some schools within the area and I'm helping them with projects there, and I get to connect and communicate and just have fun with absolutely hilarious characters and wonderful strong funny sweet kind kids uh, and that's magic and that's still theatre and all of that led me to sit there after getting a sepsis uh, <laughs> um, I sat there in the hospital waiting for my blood test results going there's been a pandemic. Work's really hard. Acting's really hard. Auditions are really hard. Life is hard. Wouldn't it be nice if I could like be really freelance and work for myself for a bit? 
and actually listen to the ideas that are like tickling the back of my skull and go, I might chase one of them, you know. I'm not doing anything for the next three hours. Just start writing an application, take my mind off it. And I did. Uh, and I would love to say that I finished the application in those three hours. No reader. <laughs> no reader, I did not. Three months later, I submitted the application um, after realising that I can't buy Arts Council funding bids. Very hard. Get help. There are people out there that will help you. Uh, Greater Manchester Artists Fund, I think it's called, um, is just one of the organisations that were really supportive and helped me. And they're free. Um, that's the important thing. <laughs> uh, yes, I basically realised that there was so much scope within this wonderful multi-sensory world to make theatre, which is exciting and appealing and makes my heart happy, but also makes other people go, I want to be involved in that, whether that's an audience member or a fellow creative. So yeah, I, I wrote uh, a bid to go, I'm currently doing this. And I realised that no one's actually doing this here. And I'm already kind of wanting to do it. So it will either happen with or without your help. <laughs> It'd be nice if it happened with your help. And it did. <laughs> but also, like, even if it didn't, I like to think I'd have found a way. It just would have been harder. And I probably would have also had to get, like, a what us creatives call a muggle job. <laughs> yeah. As, yeah. Oh, don't yeah. even get me started on that one. Muggle jobs are a thing, guys. And they matter. And they're very important. Because if you can exactly. turn on security. Like, never, ever, ever do yourself down if you take time off and do a muggle job. I've done it. Exactly. We all done it. But yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that's 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 how the funding bit happened. It was very scary. I'm not gonna lie. Like people act like people just write an arts council bid and it happens. I got turned down for other funding pots before that happened. I was very lucky to then chat to the people that turned me down and they gave me feedback. That was scary too. And all this happened while I couldn't bend or move my right leg. Uh and I had suddenly my whole very active lifestyle had turned upside down. Um, I was feeling really bad. I was having allergic reactions to medication. Uh, so the only thing I had really to kind of, other than amazing friends and family and the knowledge that the world does not begin and end with theatre, I also had this amazing opportunity to go, might as well just do it while, while I've got a bit of a gammy leg. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you're trail running, guys, and you have new shoes, don't try run for a nice 10k in the first time and wonder why that blister's a bit sore because it will pop, it will get infected, and then you will get thrombophlebitis, um, cellulitis, little bit sepsis, reactive arthritis, and other nuts Yeah. <laughs> That's a big thumbs up from Sophie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you learn nothing else, guys, it's yeah. uh, don't imagine all exercise has to be done in one day. Yes. I've learned that recently. Um, <laughs> maybe not to the same extent that Sophie did. <laughs> to be honest, I learn it anew every single, like, every single day. Yeah. And, uh, like, but anyway, so that's a different, that's a different yeah. podcast. It's, like, <laughs> it's how to, to, so I think uh, me and Becca, we sometimes have quite similar brains and uh, <laughs> yes, we have lots of coping mechanisms which are absolutely vital and important and really actually form part of our work to be the people we want to be. 
yeah. but also those coping mechanisms when done too much like anything can be harmful and sadly that's when you then have to sit there and go Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what else do I do now? So I yeah. can't run for hours every single day. Are How you am I gonna... feeling better now? That's my question. Uh, so reader, just as an audio description, Sophie is wearing a black jumpsuit with unshaven legs and purple socks. And she's Excellent. now straightening her right leg to show that it is fine. Yay! <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm back on the running trail. Yeah, it just uh, recovery is important taking it so is important yeah not having knee pain is really lovely yes. <laughs> tell me about it oh, <laughs> oh god oh, well that was a complete we digressed but that was i do apologize <laughs> no, 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 it's good it's good i love it when we digress because that's when all the juicy stuff comes out like us learning that you had sepsis <laughs> it was it sounds very dramatic it really does sound dramatic but if we frame it in this I went into A&E after finishing the Christmas show I was on I'd like to point Mm -hmm. out I did all this my leg was getting bad I knew it was bad I was hiding how bad it was I was doing a show with ice packs wrapped around my leg which I was cooling in between shows outside my window because it was snowing so they were icing up outside my window then I was doing the next show and it got to the last show the last day of shows when I finally went <laughs> to someone and was like I don't think this is normal <laughs> and their response was you're going to A&E and I was like after the show <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously I, I love that we act like this is normal any most other professions would be like I'm not going to go into the office today uh my partner just walked into the room and shook their head in disgust they are not an actor what's your job title Technical manager, something, something. They're a technical manager, something. It says so, a lot, really, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, but they they framed it. The first thing they said when I got in A and E was like, "Oh, this could be septic arthritis." So we're going to uh, ring ahead. So I think it's orthopedics and bones, and uh, mm-hmm. they're going to expect your arrival, and you're going to be seen straight away. And I was like, hmm. Wonder what septic arthritis is. Google. Uh, <laughs> don't Google it. Um, if it had been septic arthritis, I would have been facing amputation uh, above the knee and um, IV antibiotics and uh, a lot of scary stuff. So when it came back as not that, it was actually something far less. I, funnily enough, was like, amazing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And literally got back from A&E that night, uh, feeling very, very, very rough. Went straight into my next show, which was then moved online because of restrictions on which I was not able to be part of because I wasn't able to heal overnight. And the amazing director and team behind that were like, I'm not, one, I'm not taking that responsibility as a company, but two, I'm not taking that responsibility as your friend. Like, if you can't, and I, I, I couldn't walk, if you can't walk, I'm not having you, I, I've got a wheelchair. Um, so I could have technically done the show, but I was exhausted. I, uh, I'm very allergic to most antibiotics. That's Typical. fun. Yeah, oh, it's very, <laughs> very fun. Uh, but yeah, so I can't remember the point of that story. There you go, that's my medical history. Uh, my NHS number is... And, uh, <laughs> 
Oh man, no, it's it's a good point though because I think, as you rightly said, we do often think in similar ways. We're very much if we're passionate about something within life, within the arts, we'll try and use it to our advantage within mm. our work, within our lives. And I think sometimes we do have to just check in with ourselves and be like, actually, maybe this isn't okay. Maybe I'm a little bit run down. Maybe I've got something more. Um, (laughs) But it's really important to just take a step back when you need to and be honest about where you're at. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that I've learned recently. Um, (laughs) um, For better or worse. No, for better, definitely, I'd say. Just um, feels worse at the moment it happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then a few weeks later, you're like, no, oh, actually, that was a good call. Yeah, you know, yeah. you feel better having slept for at least four hours. <laughs> you like put that little that little badge on your little like sash that scouts oh, you yeah. and you go, that's the lesson I learned from that experience. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I have a couple of questions to finish yeah. off the podcast. Um the first one is you're you're very passionate about what you do that is that I think everybody (laughs) can tell that by now and you are very I would say very up to date in terms of where um certain movements are going or where the industry is maybe things that are happening within it I would say that you generally know a fair bit that's all right um (laughs) (laughs) Where where would you like to see the industry go from, from where we are now? That's a big question, I realise, but I'm just intrigued to know what your answer would be. So first, let me address a little bit about that question as well. It's very funny. Um, one of the things I learn as I get older is that the more I know, the less I know. There's always so much more to learn. So you say I seem very up-to-date, but it's up-to-date, but... From my perspective, sometimes it feels like I am swimming upstream through a waterfall. And I, I don't, I don't, I just can't. One human cannot do everything. Uh, but also like, yeah, so I sometimes feel completely behind. Like my head's been buried at work recently. So I've not been able to read the recent issue of PMLD Link, the leading magazine for uh, the community of profound and multiple learning disabilities. If you're labelled as that, or someone you love is labelled as that, do sign up. It's amazing. PMLD link. Um, yeah. So where I'd like to see the industry go from my sometimes feels like battling uphill to stay on top of it all stuff. Hmm. In an ideal world, I would love for theatre to be seen as a public service that hopefully treasured more than we do our NHS. Take that. I just raised my eyebrow listener in a way that said, uh, take my political leanings from that, if you will. I'm also, (laughs) for those unable to see me, wearing a floaty yellow floral cardi. So you're welcome. Um, I... (laughs) So I would like it to kind of be seen as almost a public service in the way that um, in in the way that it's seen as important. Mm. I would like for people to be 
for it to be easier for people to realize that there isn't just one type of performance and one type of theater and that combined arts is a thing and that um community drama is no less a course than um straight acting but for the simplest encapsulation of that when we were at Lithuania, it often felt like there was a hierarchy of courses happening in between performances and i've worked with so many people that have done completely different courses to me and i know now which one i should have done and it's not straight acting spoiler um (laughs) (laughs) uh, and therefore like we need to get rid of this hierarchical nature which i think happens i'm not going to blame drama school but i'd say that there is a certain responsibility of drama schools to go there are so many different styles out there Mm -hmm. and we only can scratch the thinnest surface calls the smallest of ripples in your knowledge of that. But you should do a better job. Um, I'd also like it if... <laughs> if people can stop treating theatre like open-heart surgery. Well, I've, one of my oldest mates, shout out to you, you know who you are, works as an amazing, amazing um, member of our National Health Service. And literally phone calls catching up with them is like me just realizing that my job is literally not over heart surgery and I need to take a damn chill pill guys um so yeah take a chill pill it's not open heart surgery make it more of a national service like get everyone going to something they actually enjoy like don't just see it as panto or the ever wonderful west end that we have here or Shakespeare but delivered in the traditional manner. Um, <laughs> Theatre needs to become more inclusive, which I think is a different word to accessible. Mm-hmm. There are lots of memes going around about like an apple tree and what each one kind of means in terms of a ladder. Um, and if theatre is going to be inclusive and actually like for everyone, then what needs to happen lots lots of stuff listening true listening real listening yeah um and that's okay everyone everyone has a capacity to connect in whatever way they can and as a theater provider and a theater like as a building um realizing the importance of programming more than just one inclusive show a year realizing the importance of programming more than one signed version of a show or interpreted version of a show or audio described show per run yeah. is also very important. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think going back to the very, like it all starts with having more inclusive training options and it all starts with having more inclusive drama classes or acting classes or dance classes it all starts with just from the ground up from the school up from nursery up being more inclusive if you could go back right to the seed it's like nurturing it in like a very rich compost instead of being like well you're this type of seed so you're going to go there and you're this type of seed you're going to go there that has merits because like i i work in specialist schools like you you need to put people in a place where they can grow and be nurtured and given time and space that they need, all the right amounts of water and light. But you also need as a mainstream society to go, 
Everyone's busy and everyone's tired and everyone's lives as rich and diverse and as wonderful as my own, regardless whether or not they're pigeonholed in this way or this way. Like, um, just because someone looks, talks, sounds, presents as a certain thing, please do not judge their inner life to be any more, less than your own. It's just different and it will be as rich. It's a word called sonder, which is the whole theme of my multisensory show. It's a made-up word by the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which is a made-up dictionary. Um, and sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R, uh, literally means that the realisation that everyone's lives are as rich and full and busy as your own. Like, we all have thoughts that never stop in our heads. How crazy is that? Like, people's brains are constantly full of thoughts. And I think we forget that. When someone like yells at you because I used to work selling stuff on the phone and someone yells at you, uh, I think they forget that, that, that I was human and I catch myself doing it when I judge someone else. We all judge people too. People watching might be my favorite hobby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's a roundabout way of saying where does the industry need to go? It needs to listen more. It needs to be more inclusive. But that's a really hard job and I don't have the answer. I can't. I can only do what I like doing. Yeah. And I can only know that I've probably said a million things wrong. And I, I, I also say the wrong thing all the time. I'm really human. You could unpick all my use of language. You could probably call me all sorts of names and I would try listen to you and try learn from that. But also I'm human and have a million things going on in my own life. And uh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. when I think about it it does make me feel quite tired um let's park that one yeah yeah. stick a pin in it (laughs) no but in a good way I think it's good to know the challenges you face like um definitely I recently had a chat with a third company who I'm now working with um but they didn't know what PMLD meant and they didn't understand what multi-sensory theatre meant and they are a big producing house Mm -hmm. um and that shocked me. But they're also busy and trying to literally rebuild a building and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so you're just there going like, you know, uh, the only evil people are Darth Maul and um, Darth Sidious. And, yes. uh, well, not even him, because he turns out to be good, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Darth Vader, but it turns out he's okay. Yeah, he is Spoiler fine. if you haven't seen Star Wars, guys. Darth Vader if, turns if out to be a little Star bit Wars, all right. Then... I don't think you should be listening to this podcast. <laughs> well, Becca, now, if we go back over what I said, everyone's life experiences are welcome. <laughs> yeah, okay, everyone is welcome, whether or not you've watched Star Wars, but I would strongly recommend that you do because they're fantastic. But remember, guys, you don't watch it in one, two, three, four, five, six, however mm. many. You have to go four, five, six, one, two, three. But now there's like the Clone Wars, has to, and then you've got the recent ones and I don't know where they come are they like seven oh, eight God. and then there's one which jumps back to be like three and a half or there's a three and a half <laughs> I don't know. wasn't there that one about like um oh Rogue One or something wasn't oh, that one which oh, is like oh, yeah. in between wasn't it yeah, yeah it is it's very confusing maybe google it um but don't google uh what sepsis arthritis is because Septic arthritis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll yeah. know if you have it, guys. It's that's, like uh, 
that if, if you've learned nothing else from this podcast, you've learned that. <laughs> Beware of Googling medical symptoms yes. by sitting oh, in A&E waiting for a blood test result. Literally, it, Google will just tell you that you're going to die within 24 hours. So, But also, actually, just to counteract myself, sometimes Googling can be very important. I recently oh, cut my foot on a rusty nail. Uh, we're doing some DIY. It was very fun. Um, and we kept that board outside for about a week. So I looked at it and went, tetanus. Uh, and if you Google, it just literally told me that I should probably ring up and go get a tetanus shot. Easy peasy. Get your shots and boosters updated, guys. Uh, it's very important. But don't do it within two weeks before or after getting a COVID jab if you're like, like able to get one of them. That's the safest medical advice. Don't hold me accountable to that. Uh, thank you, you very much. <laughs> Amazing. Well, my final Green question. Abundance. Oh, I love it. I love tangents. I, I mean, you know what I'm like, Sophie. I love a good story. So, <laughs> um, final question. And I think we've kind of touched upon this throughout, but I'm going to ask it anyway. For anyone that's getting into this industry, perhaps coming back into the industry, or perhaps is having a change of career, do you have any advice from your own experience to those people? Um, yeah, I've got a couple of little bits. One, no one's wishes out of their career are the same as anyone else's. So my advice might not apply to you if you want to get more into uh, curry and film or TV work, like that's a whole different thing. So one, research the industry and find out which bits really, really, really appeal to you. Don't just think, I like telling stories. Think, what kind of stories do I like telling? Don't think, I, I want to be an actor because I love performing. Really dig down into why. And that's difficult. I've got a little bit of my why, which is my magic, and about sharing and creating that connection. But your why might be completely different. Find your why find what makes you tick do you go see a Beckett play and think oh to delve so deep into the timings of the the lines and the communication and the blocking and the semiotics is that a word yes Yes. (laughs) Uh, uh, for those listening on an audio sense I leaned into the camera in a very very confusing fashion and also raised an eyebrow in the most dramatic way you've ever imagined um it took a lot of effort more than it warranted (laughs) do research into your why and into areas you want to get into and when you've done that do not be afraid to reach out and email people uh you can approach them on social media it might take them a little bit of time because i'm not really super active on there um but like reach out and ask them questions and ask if they wouldn't mind chatting to you like one thing my DYCP really taught me was that I can just email these massive companies and they will like speak to me sometimes for free. Um, actually, most of the time for free. Uh, and just like chat to me about their practice. And I also like um, part of my funding was to pay for the time of these amazing people and just dig into what they've done. So find people that you can ask questions about and ask them be curious don't rush when you have this dream it feels like you have a limited amount of time to make it happen and maybe you do i don't know your circumstances 
And if you do have a limited time, then you can still afford half an hour of deep, hard thinking and research going, cool. I have to do this next amount of time, otherwise it's not financially viable or like depending on your mortality, that, uh, you know, it might be that deep and difficult. There's still, take a moment, take a breath. Don't rush into it. And then when you know your direction, when you know which waterfall you're going to jump down two feet first, head flying in the wind with your hair going loose, do it. And be kind to yourself. Failure can feel really, really, really scary. If you're going to act, if you're going to be a performer, if you're going to make stuff, you are going to fail so much. And sometimes it's going to be so hard. I literally, the other day, just before going on to a, a full uh, other bit of my work where I really needed to be present and focused, quickly checked my emails, just as we do, to gently put it to the side. And I got a no from a job that I was really excited and passionate about that I felt went really, really well in the audition room. And it, one, I was lucky to get a no, so be aware of that. You might never get a no. That happens. It's wrong. Let's change it. But two, it was also a generic no, one which felt, although useful to get a no so I could close that chapter, also didn't represent the experience I felt I had in the room. And since the pandemic, it's been really, really hard for me to get a no. And if you're coming into this new, it's going to be really, really hard for you to get so many no's. Um, when we listen to these podcasts, it sounds like all that these people are doing are achieving and doing so well. And actually, 90% of the time, you're there pulling your own hair out going, I don't know what I'm doing. Ah. Uh, people keep telling me I'm not right for this. I'm not ready for that. And So take care of yourself. Be ready for no's. And know that each no feels so personal, but it isn't. And so go find someone to give you a hug. In my case, forward the email to your agent and receive the most wonderful email back, which makes you want to have a little happy tear. And just, I'm not going to say don't give up, because sometimes giving up can be the best thing for you. But also don't be afraid that it takes a really, really long time. I know that nothing ever has to be forever. Like I always was like, I'm going to act forever. And now I'm making <laughs> my own work and also like facilitating more. And I'm looking at that and looking at, by the way, facilitation, one, feeds my soul. Two, is regular work. What is this madness? Um, regular work, that, does, that means I don't have to move away from my family a lot, that I can be with my partner more and as I get closer to closer to 30, don't tell my spotlight age range, uh, that matters. So don't be afraid to change. Research. Listen to what you really want. Don't be afraid to fail. And that is not the, the nice social media meme of don't be afraid to fail, where it's like, it's okay not to be okay. Like, you know, genuinely. Don't be afraid to fail, but also don't beat yourself up about feeling sad when you do. Because <laughs> you will. I wish you wouldn't, and I pray that when you find yourself facing it, you face it with more grace than I did when I started. Um, and what was the other one? Oh, yeah, don't be afraid to just, like, roll with it. Something will come your way that you didn't expect, and you get the choice to say yes or no. There is no such thing as a wrong decision, unless that wrong decision is whether or not to, like, eat the extra biscuit and you're still a little bit hungry, in which case the wrong decision is to deny yourself to so eat the extra biscuit. 
there are wrong decisions, but also like in terms of big life moments of staring down the barrel of like, do I do this contract or that contract? Like we put so much emphasis on this and actually there's no wrong decision, just different consequences. Uh, so yeah, uh, also reach out to people. People are nice. People are very nice. Some people are very nice. Um, and they are generous with their time support. And I think that's amazing. So be generous with your own. <laughs> exactly. But also, don't do too much free work. Yes. That's my other thing. Um, I feel like you were telling me that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. I looked straight. So for, for <laughs> listeners, I pointed at the laptop camera while staring. Like it was like bang in the middle of my face. And I stared down like two barrels either side of my pointy, pointy finger. So don't <laughs> do too much unpaid work. Value your time. And I come at that now as a perspective of someone's partner who has a busy nine to five in quotation marks style job. Um, that looks on in horror as I'm like, oh, yeah, there is a profit share. <laughs> like, <laughs> that has its purpose, but also you're worth it. Baby, you're worth it. Uh, oh. So do it if it's worth it for you. If it pays you in so many other ways, do it. But also if, if you think you're worth the money, hold out for the money. And yeah. like do a do the muggle job instead. Uh, for reference, for those of you thinking of muggle jobs to do, uh, I've worked in sales on the phone. I've been a freelance gardener, which is my all-time favorite job. And I'm not speaking about when your mum goes out and does some troweling in the garden. I'm speaking like cleaning up church and office gardens, guys. Like, um, what else? I've been a social media creative <laughs> content creator thing. Uh, I ran my own business doing that for nearly a two years three years um uh i've done uh send support in schools i've been in agency going in and out to the schools providing supply work uh yeah there's tons of local jobs out there i've made coffee i have worked in cafes uh, i have i can't remember now that will come to me in a minute but yeah i've done, I've done lots done bits and bobs so yeah that was sorry all i do is talk um, no, it's good. It's good, but yeah, it's it's true. Like, I I am the same. I've done a lot of hospitality. Um, hospitality, yeah. Oi, big up to anyone that's listening that works in a hospitality job, especially at the minute. My God, we um, love you. <laughs> You're doing good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think that is absolutely sound advice, um, and I know I'll be taking a lot from it because I mean. It's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes if you're really passionate about something, you will work for free. I'm just drawing drawing upon that point specifically because I do that. Yeah. And I have done that. And it happens. We can only learn from it. Yeah. Um, and and try and pave the way forward in a in a better way. Um yes. in a paid way. <laughs> I think in a way that respects the time and the work and the love you put into it. And sometimes that respect might not come in a monetary sense. And if you're in a position where that's okay, then do what you feel is right for you. But you're, if you're in a position where actually, if it was paid, it would make a huge difference to your quality of life. Really consider what you're going to get out of it and what you have to sacrifice to get that thing out of it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's like, it's an important, it's a difficult question. And feel free to ask someone. You can ask me. I'm on social medias. <laughs> Where can we find you on social media? <laughs> uh, 
So recently I've moved to be a little bit more private uh, for boring personal reasons, um, which are long and complicated and sadly I, I could chat to Becca about, but not you podcast listeners. Uh, so yeah, I, I am... Sorry, guys, that's the <laughs> tidbit that is not available for you. Um, I am contactable on Instagram. I am a private account. I do check my request messages if you want to message me on there. I am at Sophia, S-O-P-H-I-E, underscore Lucia, L-U-C-I-A, underscore Coward, C-O-W-A-R-D. Yes, my surname is Coward. You're welcome. No, not related to Noel Coward. It means cow herder. Uh, thanks, Hulk. Um, I'm on Twitter at Sophie Coward One. I reckon you can also find me on the Facebook, the Book of Face. Um, I'm on Spotlight if you have access to that. Um, and my agent is Alex Priestley Talent. If you have anything creative that you want me to chat about or to go through her, she's very nice. I'm sure she'd forward any email in my direction. Um, but really, if you want me, social media, I'm, I'm there. I'll check. Um, but yeah, I'm also happy if anyone else just wants to chat about moving into more accessible work and stuff, I can point you in the direction of companies. I'll do a far better job at training you than I ever will. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think I think that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you can you can reach me in Manchester. Uh, if you're in the Manchester area, I can be found running around South Manchester. So you know, keep an eye out. I've got long brown hair. I often look like I'm in pain when I'm running because I am. Uh, <laughs> Well, I was going to say you shouldn't be running, but actually, I don't know if that's the best option. All running is is the, not like pain, pain, but like you know the the skin feels too hot. You're a bit overheated. The sweat's pouring down from your eyebrow into your eye, and it's kind of why do we do it? Why do yeah. we do it? I reckon I'm addicted to the endorphin rush, but that's a whole other podcast. Mm. Like, um, running's fun if you can do it gets you out in the world and it takes less time than a walk yeah it's a good, um, it's a good mood stabilizer as well um because of the hormones the juicy lovely hormones that get released into your brain you feel better after you've gone for a run yeah I see it as online with a nice cold shower have a Ooh. cold shower yes. uh, it's it's terrible don't try to do five minutes at a time um a wank is also a way to reset your brain and a run uh yeah, yeah. Meditation will also do it, but I find it less fun than the other three, if I'm honest. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. What a way to end the podcast, eh? Yeah. Look after yourself, guys. Masturbate. It's really important. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, Sophie, it's Thank been you. an absolute pleasure. You are fabulous. You are insightful and you are incredibly passionate. Um, we wish you every success with your um, with the grant that you've got from the Arts Council. Thank I'm you. sure you will do amazing things with it. Um, but to everyone that's been listening to this podcast on Spotify, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts, you've had some great audio description from Sophie. <laughs> As I would say that's a first um, on this on this podcast, which is epic. Um, please follow us on those platforms because we've got new podcasts coming out all the time, and uh, we do intend on creating a season three of Be Inspired. Oh, it's very exciting! Um, if you are watching on YouTube, hello. You just saw me mess up that sentence completely, and. Uh, subscribe like comment and 
if you want to get in touch with us, we can direct you to Sophie. Um, and, you know, if you want to just chat to us, chat to us. We'd love that. Um, but thank you again, Sophie. It's been thank a you. pleasure. Thank you. And we'll see you guys very soon. Goodbye.